In the rapidly developing discussion of AI uses and content creation, copyright is key. Welcome to CCC's podcast series. I'm Christopher Keneally for Velocity of Content. From large language models to other research-based applications, AI technologies rely on millions of books, scholarly journals, and other curated publications. Responsibly using these works is a foundational part of the discussion. On Thursday, October 12th, at 10 a.m. Eastern, 1500 UK time, and 1600 European time, CCC presents a Town Hall special program on LinkedIn Live, AI, Licensing, and the Path Forward. CCC's General Counsel, Catherine Zeller-Roland, and a panel of international legal experts, including Professor Danielle Gervais, Bruce Rich, and Carlos Scolo Levisari, will consider voluntary collective licensing, its significance to research in many fields, and the role it can play to drive innovation in science and technology, including AI. Voluntary collective licensing came to text publishing along with advancements in photocopying technology in the 1970s, as Bruce Rich explained for a June 2021 CCC Town Hall, The Future of Collective Licensing, Copyright in the Digital Marketplace. For more than 30 years, Bruce Rich was a senior partner in the international law firm Wild Godchill and Manges, where he headed the firm's intellectual property and media litigation practice. He began serving as outside counsel to Copyright Clearance Center in 1980 and continues in the dual role of advising counsel and board member. Bruce Rich is currently senior fellow at Harvard University's Advanced Leadership Initiative. And, and Bruce, to really begin to dive into all this, to, to, to get to the the heart of our matter, which is the future of collective licensing, it requires a visit to the world of 1976, a world like our own that was in the throes of technology-driven change, one that led to a new Copyright Act and a call from Congress to facilitate workable clearance and licensing procedures. Thank you, Chris. You're quite right. So there was this roiling debate that preceded passage of the 76 Act And it's centered on the proper treatment of this then brand new uh, technology, which was photocopying. And uh, education interests and others were keen on seeing the benefits of it. And necessarily, the content community felt that there was a severe risk to the uh, unlicensed and unlimited reproduction of its work. So the Senate and House reports that accompanied passage of the legislation came up with a constructive suggestion which is why not create a neutral clearinghouse to facilitate what it termed workable clearance and licensing procedures. They had in mind a voluntary organization dedicated in their words to working out means by which permissions for uses beyond fair use can be obtained early, quickly, and at reasonable fees. And this is what spawned CCC. So a task force then of the Association of American Publishers in coordination with the Information Industry Association, the Authors League, and representatives of scientific societies, independent publishers, and corporate libraries came together to create CCC, which opened its doors on January 1st of 1978, which was the effective date of the 76 Act. Right, and and Bruce Rich, uh, that call from Congress notwithstanding, Uh, CCC executives faced a steep uphill climb in the quest for adoption of the licensing services, right? It did. It's one thing to establish this great intermediary. It's another to get players joining it. 
and there were challenges on both sides. So on the rights holder side, CCC engaged in a strenuous and painstaking process of thrashing out, principally with scientific, technical, and medical journals publishers at the time, terms of licenses that would be acceptable to them um, and that would also be acceptable to users. And on the user side, uh, it took a lot of work to get uh, early uh, adopters, uh, but several corporations exhibited leadership over time, executed new repertory licenses, that is blanket licenses, uh, that began to provide momentum to this system coming together. But the uptake rate, uh, rate, the uptake rate was really low and the frequently offered response from prospective licensees, which is we feel we're protected by fair use, really needed clarification. Help us understand what is fair use and, and how that applies or how it was said to apply here. It's a, the fair use is a, is a judicially developed, a judge made uh, equitable rule of reason as it's called. It's intended to provide a limited exception to the exclusive rights which are possessed by copyright owners to control the exploitation of their work. And in the United States, there's essentially a four-factor analysis that goes into a determination of fair use and boiling it down very quickly. Principle among these are first, an assessment of the purpose and the character of the use by the user. Uh, and specifically, is it commercial or nonprofit in nature? And even more importantly, is it what we call transformative? That is, is it's taking that content and doing something different and socially productive with it, as opposed to simply slavishly making copies for which it's expected that the copyright owner should be remunerated. The fair use doctrine also looks at the volume of taking and the substantiality of it. And perhaps most importantly, it looks at the potential harm to the market for the original work itself um, uh, undertaken by the copying activity. Uh, and in light of those principles, the Association of American Publishers determined to bring a test litigation seeking to establish in the corporate setting in the United States, the principle that the systematic reproduction of copyrighted journal articles by for-profit corporations in furtherance of their business interests was not protected by the fair use doctrine. And that, that was especially the case where an entity such as CCC, which provides a readily available source for permissions, uh, is available. And the test litigation defendant was Texaco, then Texaco, which declined to take one of these comprehensive repertory licenses to cover its internal copying. Certainly in, in, in the life of this organization, CCC, the Texaco case really was a, a watershed moment, Bruce. Uh, Judge uh, Chief Judge John Newman really supported strongly the publisher's argument that CCC had established this new paradigm for permissions when it began offering those photocopying licenses. It's absolutely right, Chris. Uh, Texaco constituted the first of really a series of fair use determinations by the courts, the outcomes of which turned pivotally on CCC and its unique role in the copyright marketplace. Quite remarkably, CCC found itself meaningfully shaping copyright jurisprudence, beginning with the Texaco case. Let me give you a sample from how the uh, Court of Appeals, John Newman, you mentioned, the Second Circuit Court of Appeals, analyzed this and CCC's central role. They wrote, though the publishers still have not established a conventional market for the direct sale and distribution of individual articles, they've created primarily through the CCC a workable market 
for institutional users to obtain licenses for the right to produce their own copies of individual articles via photocopying. Since the Copyright Act explicitly provides that copyright holders have the exclusive rights to reproduce and distribute copies of their works, and since there currently exists a viable market for licensing these rights for individual journal articles, it is appropriate that potential licensing revenues for photocopying be considered in a fair use analysis. And that was really the critical framework for going forward. Right, and, and it's a changed world, of course, from 1995, Bruce. We're all working today as we speak on laptops and smartphones, and photocopiers have been overtaken as disruptive technologies. But the Texaco case continues to really matter a great deal in the digital workplace and the digital marketplace. It does. I mean, it's fair to point out, of course, that the jurisprudence, including fair use, is still being worked out and will probably for generations. But your point is exactly right. As a legal precedent, Texaco paved the way for far broader license acceptance by Fortune 100 and other corporations. No longer could they argue uh, that, uh, that they had this binary choice that Texaco put forward, which is either buy subscriptions for every employee or forgo making uses that could be termed like research uses socially productive. As the Texaco case established, there's a third option, which is really a win-win for copyright law. Continue to make the desired copies in return for licenses, whether one by one from the rights holders or in bulk through a market intermediary like CCC. The payoff has been that today some 76 of the Fortune 100 companies are CCC licensees and more than 50,000 entities operate under what is now called the annual copyright license. In sum, it's really no exaggeration, Chris, to suggest that the license programs that have been continuously developed and implemented by CCC have rationalized copyright law, minimized repetitious fair use disputes, and enabled lawful commerce and copyrighted works to proceed in myriad market settings. Bruce, I have to ask to, you to, to look back on the tremendous change, 1995, 2021. It's a, it's a dramatically different world, a different workplace, a different uh, home environment. Just everywhere we look, we have been transformed um, by our digital tools. And I, I, I wonder, though, as, a, as an attorney, somebody who studies these things, um, how you feel about this, the, the lasting impact, something like this, uh, um, I know, you know, legal decisions are all about precedent and, and sort of maintaining over time, but it really is remarkable. It's something tied to a photocopier, which has uh, faded into our uh, memories, really has made itself felt today in 2021. It's, it seems remarkable to me. Yeah, it's, it, it is remarkable and highly unusual and uh, you know, a modest organization in terms of its public profile, which CCC has deliberately been, it, it demonstrates that in a field as fraught with potential disputes, line drawing, the complexity of what the concept of fair use means, the deep expense of litigation, the ability to bring parties together to be a good faith marketplace intermediary and to provably show through licensed programs that work and that have significant uptake, and importantly, are reasonably priced in the marketplace, um, can have this lubricating effect on copyright law and can really make solutions work. And as I indicated, minimize fair use disputes. It's not to say they won't exist or that CCC 
or CCC type licenses can solve every pro problem. That's simply not the case. But with this experiment that began with the modest suggestion in the House reports to the present, it really has been a remarkable positive story, both for copyright law generally and for the role that CCC has contributed to it. All right, well, Bruce Rich again, thank you so much.